But where are you really from? A podcast about the Asian American struggle. Hello, I'm Jesse Lin. And I'm Angela Lin. Welcome back to another episode of But Where Are You Really From? This week, I'm really excited to announce we have another guest for Asians doing cool shit. As you can imagine, over quarantine, I had a lot of nothing to do. So during this time, I really dived deep into YouTube. And I found that Sasha Valor put up a video of basically a compilation of all of her nightgown shows. And that's where I saw all these amazing entertainers, including our special guest this week, Untitled Queen, and really wanted to bring you on the show to talk about your experience with drag and just being a biracial person, individuals Mm. in general. So please let us know what... (laughs) you're all about and when you get a chance let us know how you would answer the question but where are you really from really thank you so much first of all for having me Uh, i'm super excited and also excited by by, um, the subject matter of your podcast and all the um, people that you've interviewed um so my name is untitled queen um i'm also known as matthew de leon but um so they're sort of they're interchangeable for me but um i think a lot of people who uh, beat me now and in my community, drag community, they call me untitled, uh, whether I'm in or out of drag. Um, So where am I really from? Uh, I am a (laughs) child of uh, an immigrant father from the so-called Philippines. And I am my mother, a child of my mother, who is uh, her her grandparents or her parents, my grandparents were from Buriquen, which is so-called Puerto Rico. And I was born on Governor's Island in New York, so-called Governor's Island in New York, which was originally called, which is actually called Paganuk. Um, and I currently reside on the stolen land of the Lenape, Lenape Ho King, uh, the so-called Brooklyn, New York. I feel like, you know, all these things, I, you know, which I think are really interesting, which have a lot to do, with, I think, with my work and what I'm really interested in, um, in my art and in life or, um, about challenging and and thinking about what identity is and and the more and more i think about it the more dissolved it becomes and the more fluid and the more it changes all the time so i think it's a really interesting question i feel like i have a different answer for it every day probably like every other hour i think i'm like oh there's something new or there's something different and um so you know i'm an interdisciplinary artist and i use uh, drag sculpture performance installation and uh writing poetry and um as i said i'm really interested in um thinking about identity but in its again formless and then and then sort of something that like comes together but not uh, at the same time sort of like coming together and coming apart at the same time so really challenging and thinking about um these things about where i where i come from but then also how I establish who I am based on myself and based on uh, who I interact with in my community. Um, so those are really the kind of uh, main interests of the, of the work I do. And I'm really um, interested in sort of emotive, uh, you know, intense performances that are storytelling. So I really, I really think of myself as an artist that, that tells stories. 
Hey everyone, we love doing this podcast, and if you enjoy our episodes, we would really appreciate if you could support us in any number of ways. First is by subscribing to us, rating us, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Second is by telling a friend. Third is following us on Instagram at wherearyoufrompod. Fourth is by buying our merch on our website. And fifth is supporting us on Buy Me A Coffee. You can find out more about all of these by visiting our Instagram's link in bio. And again, our handle is at wherearyoufrompod. Thank you. Um, I want to circle back on the way that you introduced yourself in the beginning or the where you're from part. So I noticed you said so-called a lot and stolen (laughs) land. And I feel like there's definitely an interplay there with um, the way that you think about identity as well. So I'm curious why it's important to you to emphasize those things and what you hope, Mm -hmm. you know, people take away from that. Sure. Um, I guess one thing I, I didn't think I mentioned about, some of the work I'm doing now or thinking about, I think a lot about decolonization now. And it's sort of this, I guess, de- challenging, um, you know, colonized world. America being, for me, being an American, um, being uh, a European colony that, um, you know, is on stolen uh, indigenous land. And then also being from, and I call, I actually learned <laughs> learned this sort of term about so-called from um, my indigenous friends and indigenous community because the names given to these places are from colonizers. They're not the actual names. So Puerto Rico and Philippines are named by their Spanish colonizers. And kind of interestingly enough, like the more I'm researching, like Puerto Rico and the Philippines were both colonized by the Spanish crown around actually the same year mm-hmm. or the same around roughly the same time. And then also were colonized by America also around the same time. Very, very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like dismantling, the, uh, part of dismantling colonization um, is for me, one of the starting points is to understand like how the language has been used to try to categorize and to el- erase basically your, your language and erase, erase who, who you are. Um, so, and I take this point of erasure as a point of imagination, a point of departure. So I sort of subvert this sort of erasure through drag, through invention, through through uh, self-determination. You know, being in a part of the LGBTQIA community growing up, I was, I'm always fighting that. And that was always a big interest in my artwork, you know, really trying to find pride and where I fit in and and like uh, a community within that that's always fighting against these things that have been taught through um, control, oppression, and religious institution- institutionalized, um, you know, homophobia, transphobia, et cetera, et cetera. Very interesting answer. Awesome. Thank you yeah. for explaining that. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I know it's like a lot. I have a lot to <laughs> say. I have a lot to say. Um, but for me, it's like, and I, I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think that all, all you know poc culture is in some way is in some way doing this because the world is affected by the white supremacy and the forces of european colonization from hundreds of years ago so in some way we're i think we all have a piece of it and are doing it and and reclaiming and uh 
understanding who we are outside of what these other people told us who we are and tried to like suppress and like water down and dilute all this shit. Um, and it's in everything, which is, which is interesting because people think, I don't know, that white supremacy is like these very extreme things, but it's really like, you know, and I feel like in every aspect of life, it really um, is really present. So, um, and it's not something I know I've figured out or that I have all the answers to, but I think it's a really interesting question. And for me, I think my work fits, fits into that, um, that process. I'm curious um, how deeply you feel connected with each of your sides of mm -hmm. like your upbringing and <laughs> sure. were you able to visit um, like each of the islands that your parents are respectively so, from growing up? From, um, I have only gone to Puerto Rico once and I've never been to the Philippines. Um, and, and I actually did a project um you know because this has become such an interest of mine but like the three years ago i was like i had a whole thing about islands because i was born on an island and then my parents are from islands which i've never put together <laughs> and i was like you know that's an interesting thing like you know how how i identify with with both i feel like um you know as i said when i was younger there was just so many more filipinos around and they were like they were our family friends and like um there was just so much more of that, like Filipino barbecue. There was a lot of um, cultural event kind of thing going on and livelihood and community um, mm -hmm. there that I don't think I've gotten until actually now in um, the nightlife scene, there have been a lot more um, bigger expressions of the Asian diaspora. So uh, parties like Bubble Tea, which are incredible. And also my friend um, Emma Grade, who does a show called A Plus Drag Show that uh, gathers Asian performers from the diaspora. So I sort of has a rekindling a little bit of that in those spaces. But there, when I was young, was much more, it was just my lived experience and it wasn't, I didn't think about it. Um, but then also I just feel like I'm connected because of my immediate family and that's who, whom I'm around. But um, and then the same thing with, uh, I guess, with Puerto Rico, I definitely, um, the same thing, I guess, more of my night, light night, uh, nightlife uh, community, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, I guess, if they would call themselves Latinx. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't know, I'm not for the term of Latinx either, because I think I, I identify that as another colonial term. So I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to figure out, like, however they identify. But, um, but there are also a lot of those, um, uh, spaces that are brought together. One of one of my great friends, Horachada, a uh, Mexican, she puts on uh, a show called Yes Mama, which is a great space for you know Latinx music, Latinx performers. Um, so I feel like that's how I've kind of connect connected. But a lot of my um, family don't. I don't live close to them anymore. They're like in Florida or or whatnot, so they're not necessarily here in New York. So I mean, obviously, you're very clearly passionate about drag and putting on these shows so tell us like what does drag mean to you like how did you mm -hmm. build your identity into drag or have drag as part of your identity mm. um so i feel like um i feel like i've always been doing drag and i just was like one of the last people to know i just feel like <laughs> when i was in so i went to graduate school at parsons i was doing um uh in fine art and a teacher of mine there would often say 
he, I did these drawings of like figures and he was like, oh, these don't look like women or people. They look like drag queens. And I was like, that's not, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> and then I remember, and I tell the story often that um, this teacher, Anthony, um, Anthony Aziz, I give him credit because he, he knew. Um, I remember we walked by this Halloween store, which is now closed due to COVID, which is really sad. Um, you know, it's like this epic, huge Halloween store with all, you know, it's 24, um, 24-7 all year round Halloween store. Mm-hmm. But I remember we were walking by to go to his studio as a class. And then he looked at this mannequin that was in this like nurse's outfit. And he was like, this should be you. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you should be you like this. Like you go to parties as like a personality and you're dressed up. And I was like, that's not me at all. <laughs> and then like, and then like cut to probably probably like three, four years later. And like, that's like all I do. Um, but he was like, you know, like a Lee Bowery thing. And like, so in, in graduate school, I was doing a lot of, um, costume performance, like for video. And, um, that's what I, that's what I was doing, but I didn't think of it necessarily as drag. But when I, when I came into drag, so my, uh, best, one of my best friends in school with me, sound artist, she was a DJ for nightlife. And she was like, you should try this once. And I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, okay, fine. So then um, I had a few friends that, um, you know, so I didn't really know anyone in the scene other than her, but she wasn't really into Brooklyn Jack. She knew a lot of Manhattan people. And then, um, then I just got my feet wet. And then it just like lit me up inside because drag, I'm a, so I'm interdisciplinary artist and really into different mediums to tell stories and drag, like put it all together. It was like, ding, like light bulb because I was like, Drag is not just, it's like a, I call it sometimes, I used to call it social sculpture, which is a super annoying, like high art term, but like, (laughs) um, you know, it's like sculpture, performance, drawing, um, media, you know, internet media and interaction and performance, like all together, all at once, you know, it's, that's what's so exciting about it. And it's a, it's a literal, um, construction and deconstruction of identity in flux all the time, which makes for me, it makes so much sense. And um, you, uh, you're you always doing it. And, you know, now people, you know, say like, um, you know, life is drag, you know, in, uh, you know, in drag really points to identity as a construction. And, you know, for me, that's very interesting. You know, we talk about gender as a construction and, uh, you know, a lot of these identities and colonialism is a construction. And so drag really plays with that, subverts it, makes fun of it, allows you to do um, manifest whatever you envision, which is very empowering uh, as an art form. This is why I think it's one of the most radical and exciting art forms going on right now. And um, and is what I love about it is that it's a community-based art form in the sense that I, it doesn't exist, at least not for me, by itself. It, to me, it can't just be like a drag queen and you're standing in a room and that's it. Um, you have to, like, it comes from a community to come to watch you, to have bartenders, to have patrons, to have a DJ, to have a club, or to be outside, or, you know, all this, or have a festival. You know, it relies on an interconnectivity that um, is wonderful and and terrible and crazy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So changing gears a little bit, but related Mm -hmm. to your passion around this and the community that you've built is, um, you know, it, your upbringing you mentioned that you had a really happy childhood and it sounds mm-hmm. so it sounds like then you probably had a very loving family structure mm-hmm. and so 
you know, one of the reasons we brought you on is that our, our sub track we consistently have on this podcast is um, Asians doing cool shit, right? It's this concept of like finding other Asians that are doing things that are not like the traditional mm. expected career paths or what mm-hmm. like immigrant parents think right. is going to be a signal of success. So I'm right. curious what your parents thought of you going into art at large. Mm-hmm. And then once you decide, once you realize like drag is a really interesting way for you to express yourself through art, like how supportive have they been of that? Uh, mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I have to say, I feel really fortunate um, that I have a very supportive family. Uh, so I'm the youngest of five. Um, and, uh, my parents have always been very supportive of me. Um, but it's not, I feel like also, I don't know if, um, either of you or, or people you've talked to have a similar experience. I think because I was at the tail end of the children's cycle that like they were much less strict and I also was like, and I was also very, very good. Like I, you know, I was very well behaved and also like all my, all my siblings were like my parents. So I had like a mm. lot of love, a lot of care, a lot of, you know, help and support. And so I think by that time, um, my father was, uh, you know, my, my parents were, have always been very supportive of me. Um, but you know, they were always, I think like with a lot of, immigrant, but also POC families are very practical, especially my father, um, you know, because it's so ingrained in them and also in this pursuit of, you know, quote unquote, American dream. And also like the work ethic is incredible um, from, from them, those communities, um, um, especially both of my parents. Um, But I don't, uh, and it's funny because I don't think they would think of themselves as artists. I think they always thought that was a sort of weird. Uh, So my next eldest sister and myself were really into art, but they were kind of like, where'd you get this from? (laughs) Um, But my parents are like very creative. They would never consider it, but like I learned it all from them. My mother was like, um, you know, installation artist through through the home. She, Mm -hmm. every element in the home was very, very important that it like, she had a very amazing sense of design and like every season uh, was a time to change the house and to change all the decorations and to change the environment and a very big gardener. And um, so the aesthetic and uh, sort of emotional impact of an environment comes from her. And my father was a super DIY person, maker. You know, he's the person that like, love to do home construction like we wanted a three-car garage he's like i can make them myself i'll do it and so <laughs> you would you know and he would like patch together bungee cords and like wood and like figure out how to do it himself and like rent a tra- tractor and like um you know all in flip-flops you know like he's just like <laughs> hardcore you know that hardcore you know like um filipino work ethic and worked two jobs for years and years and years and years and years um and um you know, he worked really hard just trying to do it so that we didn't have to, I know never wanted for anything. I'm very, very lucky, very fortunate. Um, and, um, so yeah, I think, and when I was going to go to art school and I, uh, so I do graphic design as my, that was also in my undergraduate degree. So that's sort of my day job. Um, and so they've just always been supportive. I think my dad and my mom have always been like, as long as you're able to support yourself when you're eating then <laughs> like doing that then you know we, we support you and um 
my mom is very into the drag part. Very in my oh, other you know, other family. Not that my dad isn't, but my mom is very, you know, especially when I was starting, she'd be like, So what is it that you're wearing? I don't know if I like this look. She would get very, very <laughs> specific about what she liked. It was very cute. And I realized like I'm very fortunate and I I love them dearly. And I think um, you know, especially in the communities I I have many queer communities don't have the support of their families, not because they go to art school, but because of who they are. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I consider myself really lucky um, in having a very, you know, happy childhood, adulthood, um, and that my pursuit of these things um, was never uh, an issue uh, for them. Yeah. <laughs> when you, um, so speaking of d different kinds of pressures, when you joined, let's like, once you started entering the drag world, did you feel unwelcome in any way because of your biracial background? Um, or were there any like barriers to entry that you faced because you were a biracial individual? Um, no, I would not. I, I, for me, no. I think because Brooklyn was brown. I mean, a lot of Brooklyn was brown. I mean, my best friends that were creating the scene were Mary Cherry uh, and, you know, big black amazing drag queen and then um horchata you know who were running you know who started running making shows um but i will say that when i was around i felt like i was only one for years didn't know didn't encounter other drag uh, asian drag queens hmm. um uh in my um in shows uh for a very long time so it was kind of like oh i'll be like the only asian drag queen and um more and more had come to Brooklyn. And I feel like the sort of second wave of what we call second wave of um, Brooklyn drag had a big influx of Asian artists. So West Dakota, um, Emma Great, um, Suki Sterling, um, Queen Corellia, um, there's more, uh, Asina, there's, um, I know I'm missing a bunch, but um, so there is, and then again, these parties, bubble tea, um, and then there was one called Onigashimas, um, <laughs> and uh, wasn't that great? Um, and so they, uh, so these uh, really started to center more um, Asian artists um, and collectives, et cetera. Um, but for a while, I was sort of the lone, lone Asian queen. Um, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more because I don't know. Well, yeah. so I'm more like coming from it from like outside perspective. Um, I've been to drag shows, but I'm not, it's not like I'm not huge in the scene versus like Jesse's watched every episode of Drag Race, right. <laughs> like huge on drag. Um, and so I don't know how many people who aren't as familiar with mm -hmm. drag know that there is this Asian community within drag because I think, you know, there are so many stereotypes of what what Asian people do, what scenes they are in or are not in. And I don't know how many people know that there is like a growing, sizable, like Asian drag community. So I'd love to learn more about like your experience within that. And like, is it is it a lot of Asian Americans? Are there like Asians from Asia? Is it like, what do they bring that's a little different from what else you're seeing in the broader drag? Oh, it's a, it's a lovely mix. And um, I'll have to say, so Emma Gray, that's my friend. Um, she's Burmese, so she's from uh, Myanmar. Um, and um, I don't know when she immigrated here, but she uh, immigrated and, um, but, um, 
I remember, I think the first A plus that she had me in, um, I, I, it was stunning to me because uh, maybe this was like, I was maybe four years in to performing and we had a little basement. We were all getting ready. Um, Wang Newton, that's another one, drag king. Um, so I say drag artist because I'm talking about non-binary, drag queen, drag king, all of it. So it's not just about drag queens for me. But um, when I remember going there and we were all getting ready and just like, you know, we call it kicking, hanging out, talking. Um, I was like, wow, I've never been in a room, a drag room with more than one other Asian drag person artist that was about to perform i might be might have luckily maybe been with one other one but not not four or five of us and i was like really stunned really amazed it felt really beautiful and like um and very diverse because you know we talk about the diaspora for asia is huge um it's so many covering so many different languages so many different cultures and um and so it's pretty wide you know so um sina is from China, I believe. See, when I'll get all fucked up, and they're gonna like hate me. But, um, but I would say it was pretty diverse. Um, between, you know, and then again, I'm not always sure. But like between like Asian America and um, oh, Pearl Pearl Harbor is one is also is one other drag 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 artist. Um, and I believe she's an immigrant um, drag artist. Um, and um, but they bring a lot of that into their work. I mean, it's kind of impossible, you know, not to. Um, you know, so we bring ourselves to, to our works, but I think what is incredible, especially like emigrate, um, you know, they would choose Asian singing songs and would talk a lot about, um, you know, Pearl Harbor, uh, does incredible work with like a lot of the props and things would be like suitcases and, and like knee pads and like lots of like various cultural references, like between like Americanized, Westernized ideas of like glamour and beauty and sort of the disconnect and dissonance. And that's a subject I think of a lot of their work and they're also a poet. So um, I feel like it's pretty varied and, uh, and exciting because it's not really one monolithic. It's not like um, this one group is just Chinese performers or, or it's just Filipinos or, or whatnot. And people have varying degrees of cultural experience as far as like, maybe they grew up with a lot of Filipinos or, um, you know, they have that big community or, you know, or if they're also biracial, I feel like a lot of them, uh, a lot of ones I've had are also, are also biracial, like white and Asian, um, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it's exciting and cool. But then also too, we have some, um, some sort of quote unquote mainstream, you know, representation, Jujube, Manila. Manila was like a big, was a big inspiration for me when I was first starting drag. Um, uh, to Drag Race Queen on um, season two, uh, three, um, and uh, you know, big Filipino queen, and you know, she was the first runner up. So maybe one thing, because you you you've done a lot of drag shows, you've been in drag for a while. What's something that you picked up during drag that you? something that was unexpected that you learned or gained from doing drag that you were like, I didn't know that I was going to come by this, this skill or this insight or this knowledge. Oh my God. All, all of it. Um, <laughs> I was petrified of ever being on a mic. I thought I could never entertain people for sustained people and I thought our first sustained period of time. 
never thought, I mean, I think that's what was transformative about drag for me is why I encourage people, if you have any interest in it, to just try it once. Because the thing about drag as an art form is that it tests, it it shows you that you can go beyond limits, that you, you a lot of preconceived limits that you put on yourself. And that's wonderful. Um, a lot. Of, that's what I'm saying. It, it undoes all these preconceived things. So, um, so for myself, it really showed. And I also, what was, what's exciting about it for me is that it opened up like what I could do with it. it I didn't have to just like put on some sort of sparkly dress and just like you know do what everyone else was doing. I could do. I could put into it what I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, some like you know sad 90s songs and then like you know a, a poem from here or something from like the dollar store and then other narratives and like um i could really make it my own that's what was super exciting about it for me that's what i think i realized that like drag was a real like i said uh i, I almost call it like a, a combiner or like a i don't know like a garbage can dumpster train where like i could throw everything i wanted into it that i was interested in and then like light it on fire and so it's just like poof like um so it was really uh been like a liberating medium for me and and that way but yeah like when you learn a lot about yourself but limits like you know you really think i could never do this and you're like you can you actually can really surprise yourself by by what you can do and by what you can challenge yourself so i think and what's exciting about drag is that you can do it as many times as you want and many as in many different ways as you want and that's really really exciting well i think that that kind of like free spirit and um making do with what you have is a great kind of segue into our clothes uh, our fortune mm. cookie oh my gosh fortune. yeah that's our closing section name because we always like to end on a sweet treat oh my so gosh we would love to ask you what advice you have for people who want to dabble in drag or other Mm. creative artistic forms um given your Mm. experience oh my gosh so i've got lots of advice (laughs) (laughs) okay number one um number one is if you want to don't go to don't pay for a graduate degree in a creative creative art but otherwise i mean in in the nice in the cool like non-institutional stuff it's like you know i think focus on the things that are fun, you know, like art should be fun. And like, I think, you know, things about institutionalized learning, especially like art education things are so hell bent on like sucking the life out of a lot of it. Um, and that's why I think nightlife was a real, um, was a real space that opened it up for me because the difference between nightlife and the art world is not that different. There's a lot of networking, there's a lot of art making, but the fun, that's the difference. Art world stuff is not fun. <laughs> Are going to going to fucking openings, networking as a call. That's what they call it, networking. Um, meeting with curators. Get, they teach you to do an elevator pitch. Mm. All that kind of shit is so boring. It's so stupid. It's so and it, they also a lot of American art education really teaches you to do it. Um, it's a very solo endeavor. Mm. It's never and a one one lesson that I've I try to you know share with people is that um, I had an amazing professor, Barry Rosenberg, in my undergraduate art history class was saying, you know, a lot of people will teach you how to make art, you know, how to draw, how to do this, but they never teach you who to make it with. And that has really stuck with me because when I entered into graduate school, I I had a community, that's why, you know, the other students, but then when I entered nightlife, that was another one where 
wow, we were making art together and it wasn't, you know, we're still competitive, but it's not like it, you're only taught to just, it's only just about you. It has to, so I'm saying it, it works because you're in conversation with, with other people. And the thing about drag, why like I really, I love it and why I encourage people to try it too. And like kids that are starting it now, I say kids, you can be any age to do it. But I say kids, like if you're young, young doing it. But I'm saying is to enjoy it because people like everywhere, you know, especially through mainstream culture, really try and treat drag as a business and it can be. But it's really like, it's fucking fun. Like go out with your friends. And this is for anybody, not just drag. But like, if you're making art, you're in a creative, like meet up with your friends, go out, do things like really like, you know, spend time in each other's houses, write stuff, do prompts together, do like, workshops do like you know do your makeup at your friend's house like those are the best memories i'll i'll ever have and the, that kind of approach to it you will and i think a lot of people say this about things what they start when they start at the very beginning of these pursuits because they're not really thinking about all this ways about how is it going to make money how is it going to build my career because it's a kind of unthinking thing and the thing about drags that was a surprise i didn't think of it as I also used to not call it my art. I used to just be like, I'm just trying this thing. And then it was like, whoa, this is it. My, my art is everything that I'm doing and whether it's drag or not, like it, it's just a part of my whole toolkit. So I really just encourage people to really um, find what you think that you think is really fun and really explore that and, and try not to um, just think about it in capitalist terms about making money or about your productivity. People are very, very obsessed, including myself to like, how much are you making? How much, or, you know, how much are you creating? How much are you doing this? And there's a lot of that pressure that really devalues, you know, puts value on things that are not important. Thank you so much for, for coming. We got it all. Um, <laughs> would you like to tell our listeners where we can find you? And if you have any projects you want, you're working on that you want to plug? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm like, how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> um, uh, you can find me uh, as Untitled Queen on Instagram. Um, and then um, also my website is also untitledqueen.com. Um, right now, I have a show coming up. Um, and I'm doing a performance for that. And it's also about um, cultural ancestors. I'm doing a performance about uh, I'm writing a new poem called Singing Telegram from a Siren that I'm premiering that night. And it's all about like, thinking about sirens, me imagining sirens as uh, beings or ancestors that like fought against colonial ships making them crash and die um <laughs> on the on the so-called philippines and the so-called puerto rican shores so i started so it's just a poem about a conversation between me an apartment buzzer conversation between me and this like singing telegram from one of them oh. um <laughs> Will it be recorded? Will yes, they be able to watch yes, it? Yes, I'll be. Okay. Yes, I'll be. I'll be sharing it. So I'm pre-recording this performance, uh, and I'll be able to share it. So okay. you can look out for that. My singing telegram from the siren will be available if you want to catch that. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Thank you. Well, if you have questions for Untitled Queen, or you have questions, comments, feedback on this episode, you can also write us in at tellusswhereyou'refrom at gmail.com, the yours, Y-O-U-R-E. We can connect you with Untitled or pass along at anything that you want. And reminder that we are still looking for listener story submissions. So write us in about your experience with either this topic or whatever you want. Um, and come back next week because we'll have another fresh episode for you then. And until then, bye, Jen. Bitches. Bitches. Bitches.